Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming. I'm uh, looking forward to sharing with you and then having you be prayer partners for this uh, project. I uh, I thought I'd sing a song first, and then we'll pray over the word. All right, so this song is a, a prayer. I don't know. I probably wrote it 15, 20 years ago, but uh, yeah, maybe over 20 years ago. It's just a prayer of my heart. It's called Grant My Desire. And when you hear it, then I hope you'll make it your prayer. So while, as I sing it, then uh, let's just be worshiping the Lord. All right? So you want to go ahead and start that? Number seven. and uh, received quite a few prophetic words. But after 
I preached a message about uh, the way back to spiritual power. And uh, Sister Kathy had a word that God was giving me a trumpet. So I, uh, over the years, my frustration at leadership books has been growing. And I have believed that most leadership training is secularized to where it's, it's a psychology of leadership. It's, uh, it's telling people techniques of leadership. But if you leave out the fact that the Holy Spirit is the leader, and if there's not even one single word of that in your leadership book, then your leadership book is secularized. It's unplugged. And so you can train people to lead and how to build teams and how to cast vision and how to communicate and how to influence the influencers. And all those things are techniques. But the early church, Jesus didn't say go to Jerusalem and wait till you get a wagon load of leadership books. He said, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the church was so successful because people heard the Holy Spirit and were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, um, in December one morning, I, I woke up and it just felt like it was downloaded into me that I was to write a book called Good and Faithful Servant, and the subtitle is A Trumpet Call to Return to Spiritual Leadership. And I, I didn't have many meetings in December, and uh, so I wrote to several partners and I said, I believe God wants me to write a very important book on spiritual leadership would you give me an advance like a publishing company uh, gives a writer an advance so that they have time to write the manuscript? So I said, uh, and you know what? $5,000 came in, and I had income, and I wrote that book in eight days. It just gushed out of me, uh, over 70,000 words. And uh, then I took two more days to outline the drawings. There will be at least 51. I think we're going to add a few. It'll be the most illustrated book that I've ever done. And uh, I'm uh, the publisher that, I, that did this last book on forgiveness uh, thought that I should cut out 20,000 words to keep the book from being too thick. And so I've gone through and pared out 6,000 words, but the Lord's telling me to add a few. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we're, uh, we're going to take out anything that's unnecessary and whatever has to be said has to be said regardless of how many pages so I'd like you to pray because it's an expensive project to get it all done just the artwork is $3,000 let alone any of the typesetting and all that publishing and printing and then to market it and get it out to the body of Christ is a whole nother thing uh, I just will announce that finally after all these years my most widely published book is 35,000 copies we just put this in a curriculum for small groups with a double DVD set, a teacher's guide, a student workbook, and we're going to be making it into an e-book as well. And then churches can use this very powerful little book to, uh, to train people. Well, I want to start this session off on, on spiritual leadership and uh, talk about leading from humility. Now, the greatest spiritual leaders are always the most humble people. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man on earth. Jesus said, learn of me, I am gentle, and I am humble of heart. And there are levels of humility, what I call beginner level. That's when a sinner begins to repent. But then humility just keeps going down to where there's what I call a dead man walking level. <laughs> it means you're dead to self. <laughs> and uh, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Now, grace a lot of times is, is defined by people as unmerited favor, which is true, but another definition of grace is that it's the activated power of God. And that's a real good definition. And uh, so uh, when we are humble, God gives us his activated power. And uh, he doesn't give that to the prideful. That is reserved for the humble. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So when I teach on leadership, I don't want any of you to think, well, I'm not a leader, I'm not going to be a pastor, I'm not going to be a, uh, whatever. Uh, spiritual leadership has to begin with spirituality, and spirituality has to begin with humility. 
And when God is, God is looking for people who will just be humble, who, who aren't craving a position, who uh, aren't wanting to boss anybody around or control anybody, just, you just say, well, I, I don't know about being a leader, but I, I can get into being humble. <laughs> all right, can you get into being humble? Huh? Well, then, you know, nod your head. This is for you, all right? Because, you see, we all lead somebody somewhere, right? We have our family follows us. Our neighbors might be influenced by us. And so, to some degree, uh, the Bible says those uh, who, you know, lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars of the heavens. And so, we, you don't have to lead a big church or lead a big organization to lead many to righteousness. And you should all desire to lead many to righteousness, right? That's, not, that's non-negotiable. You just have to say, well, I may not lead a corporation, I may not lead a, a foundation or a, a, a church, but I can't, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to lead many to righteousness by God's grace. I'm not going to give that up. Amen? All right, so then we begin with humility. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, when I was 18, the Southern Baptist Church in Rapid City asked me to be the speaker on Youth Day. And I thought, I, I had a prideful thought. I thought, I'm going to really wow them, man. I am going to preach like the big boys. And uh, because I started off with a prideful thought, uh, a wave of demonic doubt hit me like a sneaker wave coming in from the ocean. And, I mean, it was a spiritual attack. I began to doubt whether there was a heaven or a hell or whether I was saved or whether the Bible was real. It was a demonic attack of doubt, and it just rolled me. And I couldn't put two sentences together. I'd try to do anything, but, see, I was trying it in my own power, and nothing would work. And so Saturday night came, and I said, then I said humbly to God, I said, I can't get a sermon. I can't do this. But if you want me to have a sermon, you'll have to give me one. And I said it very humbly because, I mean, I tried all week, but I couldn't get two sentences together. Well, at 6 o'clock in the morning on the day that I was supposed to preach, I woke up and God downloaded a little uh, story that I'd read in the Reader's Digest, of all things, and gave me a sermon. And in this little story, uh, a man was rescuing animals because the river had been dammed up and the jungle floor was filling up with water. And he was out in a boat rescuing drowning animals. And when he tried to get a deer in the boat, because of the struggle, he fell out of the boat and the boat took off. Now, he was five miles from either shore. The trees that were still sticking up were filled with snakes and spiders that had crawled up from the jungle floor. And there were piranha in the water, so if he swam really hard, he'd alert the piranha and they would come and eat him. And so he was in a death trap. And so the way he got out of that is he prayed, and his boat got stuck in the fork of a tree. And he heard the engine. It didn't get any farther away, and so he paddled softly, and he was able to get, up and get in his boat and get out of there. So I told the story, and I said, now, we're like that. We've fallen into sin. We've fallen out of the boat. It's too far to get to heaven in our own good works. The religions of this world are like the trees filled with spiders and snakes, the doctrines of demons. And then I said, now, God put his son in the tree, the cross, and if we'll get over to Jesus and get in Jesus, he'll take us safely to the shore. And I didn't ham it up at all. I just, uh, God had downloaded that, and I turned it to the pastor, and every teenager in the church rededicated their life to God that morning, came forward, and one of them was the first time salvation. So that's how I learned to preach and any of you can learn to preach and teach by that when you just start off and say, Lord, I'm willing to say anything you would give me to say, but I'm not going to try to do it independently of you, all right? So when we depend on God, we begin the journey of spiritual leadership. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, when I was on my way to Bible college then, I found a verse in Proverbs 1.23 that says, Turn up my reproof or my rebuke. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit on you, and I'll make my words known to you. Now, any of you could turn at God's correction, see? So what I did is I said in my heart, Wow, that would fix everything that's wrong with me. <laughs> right? If God's spirit was poured out upon you, 
His word would make known to you. Well, you'd have all the faith needed to receive any miracle for healing, right? You'd have uh, all the direction you'd need in life, everything you need. And so I looked out the window, and we were driving down the Columbia River Gorge, and I said in my heart, Lord, I vow, I make a covenant with you on the Columbia River. I vow to turn at your rebuke. If you'll take the time to rebuke me, I'll always turn at your rebuke. And as often as you look down from heaven and see the Columbia River, remember that if you take the time to rebuke me, I'll turn at your rebuke. Now, over the years, I've had the joy of being anointed as a biblical Bible teacher and teach with an anointing. And and then I've had the joy of writing all these books and CDs and stuff. And if I counted all the booklets and all the tracks and the bus brochures, I've had a, about a million different uh, copies of what I've put out. Amen? And uh, the root of my teaching anointing is, is this vow to turn at God's correction. Now, see, you might think, well, I don't think I'll ever be a Bible teacher. I'm not smart enough. I haven't got a degree. I haven't got, well, how many of you think maybe you could vow to turn at God's correction? I want you to say out loud, I could do that. Say it out loud like that. I could do that, see? All right, well, then do that sincerely because God is looking for people that he can correct. And if he can correct you, he can pour out his spirit on you and then he can give you further revelations. And that has to stay with you all of your life, no matter what kind of success in the ministry uh, God would give you. Let's just worship him right now. And in your heart, you could say, well, I don't know if I could ever teach multitudes of people or write books or whatever, but I love the idea of God's spirit being poured out on me. And I love the idea of God uh, making his words known to me. And I could surely turn at God's correction and now, if you'll do that, it'll be as if you're putting a lightning rod up to heaven, just uh, pulling down the electric power of God's anointing. Lift your voices and just worship Him. Lift your hands up and just worship Him right now. Hallelujah to Jesus. And no matter what education level we have, even if we had all kinds of degrees and stuff, He hides his truth from the wise and prudent, and he reveals these things to little children. And Jesus rejoiced about that. So while education is great and wonderful, uh, our attitude has to remain as little children who are easily correctable the rest of our life. And in that humility, then God reveals wonderful, wonderful truth, and pours out wonderful anointings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. All right, let's go ahead. I'm looking for that uh, little clicker. You see it? There it is. I didn't see it. All right, now we're going to put that uh, up on the screen. And I want to talk to you about uh, Joseph's elevator. Now, God had a call on Joseph's life, and uh, he began to have spiritual dreams that he was going to be a leader or a ruler, and he saw uh, his brothers would be bowing down to him. He saw that his mother and his stepmother would be bowing down to him, and, uh, but when he shared those dreams with his brothers, they became very jealous, and they hated him. They already didn't like him because his, he was a favorite of his father. Now, we could say that Jacob was wrong for favoring somebody, but I know that uh, uh, there's two kinds of love, acceptance and approval. Acceptance is equal to everybody. Approval is reserved for the obedient. And I believe that Joseph was a very obedient son, and so when Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, it was, an, uh, it was uh, a reward, amen, for being obedient, and that was love. So God loved him more, or the, his father loved him more, but the kind of love that it was the love of approval, amen, which wasn't perverse, okay? And uh, I remember one time when I was going through a church split, I was thinking how many of the people, uh, I said, Lord, so many of the people used to love me now hate me. And God spoke to me and said, uh, why did Joseph's brothers hate him? 
I said, well, they hated him because uh, his father loved him more. And then the Holy Spirit <laughs> was beaming into me. Get your mind on how much the father loves you, not on how much the brothers hate you. Amen. And God always has a thought to get you through whatever you're going through. He has a thought. And if you can get God's thought, you can get through it. So I often pray, Lord, just give me one of your thoughts and I'll be out of this jam. But uh, the, the Lord showed me that there were some people jealous of me uh, because I had God's approval. So I had an anointing or several anointings that were like a coat of many colors. And uh, that even though some of the brothers had hated me, uh, get my mind off of that, get my mind on how much the Father loved me. And that was very, very helpful to help me get through that time. Now, Joseph had the, the vision then. So he thinks, wow, this is going to be great. But what he doesn't realize is he's going to go down the elevator of humility. Because in order to have this great international, he ends up with an international ministry. In order to have an international ministry and an anointing that would literally save so many hundreds of thousands of people from death and starvation... He was going to have to be really humble in order for the gifts of the Spirit to move through him and have the word of wisdom for a nation and the whole region. So his father sent him on an errand to go out to those older brothers. So he begins his elevator as an errand boy. But they beat him up, throw him in a pit, and sell him to slave traders. So his elevator goes down to the slave level. See, it starts with, in the left side, starts with errand boy, then it goes down to slave. And uh, now, then, after several years of being a slave, uh, Potiphar's wife lusts after him. When she can't seduce him, he runs. That makes her mad. He left his coat in her hand, and uh, she uh, accuses him of trying to rape her. And now he's thrown into prison. So here he's, the elevator, you know, he thinks, oh, man, I'm called to this great ministry, but the elevator's just going down, down, down. All right, so now then, uh, uh, after several years in prison, he interprets the dreams of a baker and a butler, uh, and uh, one is released and one is killed, just as he said. But he says to the, the, the cupbearer, the butler, Remember me to Pharaoh because I didn't, deserve, I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. But the Bible says the man forgot him. So that meant that he had gone down another step down to what I call the dead man walking level. <laughs> uh, he's just forgotten. He's forgotten in prison. The great dream, where is it? I don't know. But it's gone from errand boy to slave to prisoner to dead man walking level. But in the spirit, he's going up the other direction. He had responsibility for the errand, then he had responsibility over a household, and then he was put in charge of the entire prison and had responsibility of the prison. Now, even though he's down here, now he's, he's, he's uh, very humble because he's uh, getting those words of wisdom and knowledge for the baker and the butler, and then when he's forgotten, then suddenly he's moved up to be Pharaoh's right-hand man, and uh, he, he, he is uh, given the signet ring of Pharaoh, and... Uh, Amen. And then, see, he's put over a nation, but after the seven years of abundance and the famine comes, the entire region, nations are coming to Joseph to buy food. And so he ends up with an international ministry. Now, this is very important that you realize the process here because... There are people who look like they're big leaders, but they're not spiritual leaders. Okay? Jesus said the blind can lead the blind, right? And both fall into the ditch. And so sometimes some people that look like they're the biggest leaders are people who are like the man who built the barns. His barns were filled. He was going to tear them down and build bigger barns to hold his massive harvest. That guy was a leader. He obviously had a team of workers, amen, and he had a vision and all of that, but he wasn't rich towards God, all right? And so uh, the spiritual leader 
will have to go down the elevator of humility. Even in the eyes of the world, if somebody's a big leader, if they're prideful, they're not spiritual, all right? <laughs> Amen? So you, you have to go down this elevator. Now, when you're going down this elevator of humility, it can look like, if God loved me, what, what in the world's going on here? God gave me this call. <clears throat> he gave me this promise. And everything's going backwards. <laughs> well, that's par for the course. That's the way it works. And a lot of times then people uh, who have the great call get angry at God and they only go down so far and then they rebel against the whole thing and never turn into the leader that they're supposed to. So um, it's amazing. If we will love God through the various situations that we go through, <clears throat> uh, that other elevator will be going up. Now, several years ago, I, ha I was going through a tremendous trial, and uh, one of my trusted friends, I actually led him to the Lord back in 1978, but uh, he called me and he said, the Lord told me that uh, he's allowing you to be you know, mistreated by some people and, and that uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but the Lord's going to use it because he wants to give you more grace, but to give you more grace, you've got to have more humility. So if you'll humble yourself through this whole thing, he's going to give you truths for the entire body of Christ. I remember that I thought, well, that would be worth it. <laughs> Amen. But you see, as there's an if there, if you humble yourself. All right? So can you folks decide that you'd be willing to see everybody would like to go up the elevator? Amen. Most people probably would say, sure, I'd like anointing. I'd like responsibility. I'd, I'd like to be somebody and do something. Amen. God's glory. Yeah, well, all right. If it's for God's glory, you're going to have to ride down the elevator. And at the same time, in the spirit, you'll be going up. But your flesh and your selfishness will be crucified. Now, God's looking for just plain old vanilla people, plain old people who are willing to go down that elevator. See? He's not looking for the hotshot that thinks I'm the I'm going to be the greatest leader ever. Right? He's just looking for somebody that says, "Lord, whatever, however you want to humble me, I'm I'm willing." Let's worship the Lord for a minute now. Just tip your faces up towards God, and and what if God wanted to develop you to carry a great anointing, do something really great? Then uh, to be a true spiritual leader, uh, it would require this process of dying to self and going down that elevator. But you say, Lord, it would sure be worth it if I, could, if I could bring you glory, if I could walk close to you, if I could help people. So I'm willing. Hallelujah. I'm willing. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Now, one day the Lord uh, spoke to me and said, I'm not impressed with your anointing. And no matter what kind of anointing you get and how great it is, God will never be impressed with your anointing. His anointing is his. So if God was going to be impressed, I think he would be impressed by something you do in secret, like open a door for somebody or, or welcome some little child to church or uh, help somebody when no, nobody knows who was the helper. And amen. And Jesus said to give in secret, fast in secret, pray in secret. Uh, God's going to be impressed with little things that just are your character. Amen. He'd probably be impressed with faith where you believe him and honor him that way. But anointing is his. And so you don't dare get impressed with your anointing or your ministry. How many of you know a lot of people do? And then they crash and burn, okay? Uh, so anyway, the Lord's not going to be impressed with your anointing, but uh, we should be very grateful for the anointing, very thankful for it, but always acknowledge that it's His. Amen? All right. Now, I have a picture. This, these are in pencil drawings. They're going to be put in ink, and they're drawings that, by God's will, will be in this new book. 
But I talk about anointing chasers. I run into people that are anointing chasers, and they follow anointed people around and want to have the anointed people lay hands on them, and they want a double portion of their anointing. And, uh, and I believe a lot of times they have real sincere hearts. But you see, a lot of times people want a shortcut to the anointing. The anointed person has ridden down the elevator. But the anointing chaser don't want to ride down the elevator. They want to skirt around that elevator and just get the anointing from the anointed person who paid a price of complete death to self. All right, so here's Elijah being chased by the anointing chasers. He's running for his life, and then... He hides behind Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus says, stop, <laughs> to the anointing chasers, and he said, can you uh, drink the cup? Now, remember John and uh, James, oh, Lord, uh, we want to sit at your right and left hand in your kingdom. They actually had their mother ask, but it was their desire, and uh, so he said to them, uh, can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism, and can you drink the cup that I drink? And, of course, the cup is obedience unto death. And the Bible says that God exalted Jesus because he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. So, to the anointing chasers, Jesus says, stop, and you drink the cup. Now, remember when uh, uh, Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. He didn't say your anointing. He said your spirit. That's probably significant because that would involve character. But he said, uh, the prophet said, you've asked a hard thing. Why did he say you've asked a hard thing? And when Jesus, when they said, we'd like to sit at your right and left hand, he said, uh, can you drink the cup? You see, the hard thing and the cup is death to self. Selfishness, your own vain glory, your desire to be seen and heard of men, your desire to write your own story, write your own will, do your own thing, all of that has to die. Now, how many of you know then we should value the prayers of anointed people? Amen? Because anointing can definitely be transferred, but it's going to be transferred a whole lot easier to people who are going down that elevator, amen, than the people who are trying to circumvent it. I feel like I've said a mouthful there. Let's praise the Lord for a minute, amen. Hallelujah to Jesus. Lift your hands and praise God because you can be that person that doesn't try to take the shortcut. You can say, well, Lord, I, I don't amount to anything. I, I don't know how I could ever be anything in your kingdom, anything great in your kingdom, but... but I have nothing to lose except my old self. I'm certainly willing to lose that. I'm willing to lay my will down and, uh, and uh, just uh, die to self. I'm sure willing to do that. And if you can do something with me, that would be great. Now give yourself over to God. Worship God right now. You may end up bearing anointing and ministries that you never, ever dreamed of. God gives grace to the humble. I don't think he can resist giving grace to the humble. If you're truly humble, I don't think God could possibly bypass you. I don't think God could overlook you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, when I first got into the ministry, I worked a volunteer for quite a few months and then I said to the pastor, if you could give me $100 a month, I'll work part-time for the church. And I worked 50 hours a week at a veneer mill, a very physical job. Veneer is what they make plywood out of, and you'd have to pull that off a fast-moving conveyor belt, throw those widths of veneer in carts. I did that 50 hours a week, so I said I'll go to a 25-hour job. And I got a guy that would split a shift with me. He was a pastor, and he wanted to have a split shift. And the pastor agreed to it. The mill agreed to it. And so for $100 a month and my part-time, I worked at least 40 hours a week. And I went from $1,000 a month to 600 a month, 500 from the mill, 100 from the church. <laughs> so I took a 40% cut in pay. 
they get into the ministry. Well, now that was working out pretty good. My $100 a month, the pastor was getting 40 hours a week for $25, right? He thought that was pretty good. So he hired a youth pastor who had not volunteered at all, who he didn't even know. And he gave him a bigger desk than me and $100. And I thought, that's just not fair. I've been working here longer. I work volunteer. I'm putting away more hours. And he gets a bigger desk, and the Holy Spirit just told me, keep your mouth shut. You just keep your mouth shut and do your work. Now, how many of you know that was counsel from God? And that's what Jesus said. He said, don't try to get the best seat at the banquet. Go to the last seat, and then the master of the banquet will say, come on up higher, and you'll be promoted in the sight of everybody. And Jesus said repeatedly, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. He said that many times. Well, so I kept my mouth shut, and within about a month, the youth pastor was fired. He didn't work out at all. <laughs> and uh, the pastor one day was down in the office, and he was looking at that desk and my desk, looking back and forth, and he said, Hey, that desk is bigger than Wes's desk. Give that desk to Wes. <laughs> and then I was hired full-time, and I've been full-time for 46 years. See, now I, I want to uh, deliver these kind of truths to future leaders, not people who aggrandize themselves in any way, just plain old people. But if you can be a sweet-spirited, humble person, certainly the grace of God, God won't be able to bypass you. You'll end up leading many to righteousness whether you have a title or not. Hallelujah. Aren't we... Thank you to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as wonderful as humility is, pride is equally terrible. And whenever pride comes in, deception rides in on the back of pride. And so when ministers have a great anointing and they fall, it is almost always and perhaps always because of pride more than anything else. Now, one time I was uh, preparing for my very first revival service. I was an associate pastor, but I was asked to preach a revival, first time ever. I was up in the middle of the night preparing, and I was so excited. And I said, Lord, I love your word. I want to eat your word, breathe your word, sleep your word. I want your word to become my whole life. And I said, Jesus was the word made flesh. I don't know if that's theologically possible to have the word made flesh in me. But if it is, I would like your word to be completely fleshed out in my life. And all of a sudden, God interrupted me and spoke and said, all right, I'll take you at your word. You will be totally mine. That means you'll have great success. And he said, if at the height of your success you turn from your sincere love for me and embrace the praises of men, you'll be committing spiritual adultery. He said, men will not be able to tell if you commit spiritual adultery, but if you do, I will withdraw from you until you commit sins in the flesh that they can see, and then everyone will know what you are. And then there was a holy hush. Now, we all have that if. If at the height of your ministry you turn from your sincere love for God and embrace the praises of men, you'll be committing spiritual adultery. Men will not be able to tell when you're committing spiritual adultery. But God will withdraw from you until you commit sins in the flesh that they can see. So then if you embezzle money, you'll be revealed as a thief. If you run off with somebody's mate, you'll be revealed as an adulterer, an adulteress. Right? And so that happens over and over and over because people get so high and then when pride comes in, they never get any higher in the spirit. They crash and burn. Now, another time, <clears throat> I was preparing to pioneer a church and the, the overseer of our denomination that was over that particular section was a very arrogant man. And he'd had a lot of success. He'd built a big church and... 
he wanted me to only pioneer a church in the in the uh, part of the city that was uh, that he didn't want. It had an ethnic. Most of the group were, were uh, people that lived in that part of the city were one particular ethnic group that he didn't want, and it was a depressed area. And so I I couldn't find a building in that area. And I said to him, if I can't find a building to to start in that area of the city, where shall I go? And he said, well, two words come to mind, but I won't say them. He meant go to hell. And so I was really struggling to find a place, and I couldn't get paid by the denomination anything until I started a church. And I remember I went to a four-square church, and I was worshiping that morning. And I said, oh, God, I don't ever want to be like that man. And God spoke to me and said, when you win the crown, don't bow down and worship your image in it. Now, you see, our crowning achievement, we can see our own image reflected in that shiny gold crown. And like a mirror, we can bow down to our own image. And our achievements can become our idol. All right, well, uh, things went badly for that man. He thought he got a promotion, went to another church, didn't work out well, and he died shortly thereafter. We could all become like that man. All right, so pride is a terrible, terrible thing, and I memorize verses like pride busters, like don't let a novice become an overseer lest he become conceited and share the same condemnation as the devil. That's a pride buster. Because if God won't put up with it in a novice, he certainly won't put up with pride in someone like you or me, veterans that have been in the ministry. He just simply won't put up with it. Amen? And he said they'd share the same condemnation as the devil. Well, that's... Amen? (laughs) All right, so... uh, I like to memorize verses like, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Anything that's a pride buster scripture because uh, we want to completely stay away from that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's a picture. Remember I told you from Proverbs 123 that if you'd vow to turn at God's rebuke, you'd just be irresistible to God. It will bring his spirit upon you. It'll bring God's revelation of his word to you. So it's like putting up a lightning rod. Amen? And you're just attracting the lightning. Amen? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about the tests of humility. Uh, a doctor can find out a whole lot of things from a blood test, right? A whole lot of things. Well, God can find out a whole lot of things with humility tests. And humility tests go on throughout our life. You never outgrow your need for an occasional checkup by the doctor. <laughs> Amen. You'll never outgrow your need for... Uh, occasional checkups by the Holy Spirit. And when he tests your humility, uh, he can tell so many things. So let me tell you some of the humility tests. The first one is that God sometimes speaks to you through people who do not know as much as you know. And if you're humble, you perceive that it's God speaking. If you're prideful, you think, I know more than them. See? Now, God uh, spoke to Moses face to face, but he did not tell him how to organize judges and appoint judges. He saved that to speak through a new convert. Moses' father-in-law came and saw everything God had done and said, Jehovah is God. And he offered a sacrifice, and he became a believer. Now, the very next day after his conversion, he says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. You've got to appoint judges of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and tens, and you know, turn the work over to them. You're going to all wear yourself out. You can't stand the strain, but if you'll do what I'm telling you, God will bless you, and then you be the representative to the people, God's priest, you know, and uh, bring God's word to them, and they can bring the most difficult cases to you. Now, now, what if Moses had said, who do you think you are? I'm the man that talks to God face to face. You're just a brand new convert. Get back in your place. How many of you know? God tested him. Now, Josiah was having a great revival. How many of you remember King Josiah? And he had a Passover like they hadn't had from the time of Joshua, the Bible says. God spoke to Pharaoh 
to come from Egypt, go around Judah, and attack Syria. And uh, Josiah went out to oppose him, and, and he said, God spoke to me and told me to go around you and attack this other guy. Now, don't oppose me, or you'll be destroyed. And Josiah thought to himself, this guy worships the sun. He's an idolater. He's a stupid heathen. I'm God's golden boy. I'm Mr. Revival. So he went out and opposed him and got killed. He was only 39. And the revival stopped. Why? He flunked the humility test. If he'd have been real humble right at that point, he'd have thought, you know what? I think God is speaking through this heathen who does not know as much as me. All right, the next test is the big miracle test. King Hezekiah was tested with the big miracle test. Now, in answer to his prayer, God sent an angel who killed 185,000 enemy troops in one night and delivered the nation. And then he got an infected boil, and God gave him a sign that the shadow would go back on the sundial 10 steps, on the steps of Ahaz, uh, that meant that the earth's rotation was reversed. Joshua made the sun stand still by God's power, but nobody had ever had the earth reverse. And so Hezekiah got to thinking, wow, Moses parted the sea, but for me, God reversed the earth. Now, the Bible says that uh, Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him, and he became proud. Second Chronicles 32, 25. He didn't respond properly. He should have been humbled by that great thing and said, God, you're so good. You're so amazing. I give, I give you all the glory. But when emissaries came from Babylon, he showed them all his treasures and everything in his house, but he didn't show them God. He didn't reveal God to them. He just showed off. And so the wrath of the Lord was on Hezekiah and on Jerusalem, and then he humbled himself and repented, and then God's wrath did not destroy them. Now, the obedience test. See, a, a, a lot of people I would run into say, oh, yeah, I'm humble, I'm humble, mm-hmm. I'm humble. Well, listen, do you think you're humble? Good. <laughs> But whatever pride is left in you could be completely crushed by God's uh, demands for obedience that require complete death to self. So when God calls Ezekiel, see a lot of people saying, we want to see your glory, we want to see your glory, we want to see your, show us your glory, we sing those songs, show us your glory. Well, Ezekiel saw God's glory and then God said, I'm calling you to be a prophet. Now I want you to go lie on your side for 390 days, tied up with ropes and eat rationed food and rationed water. And after that, you're going to lay on your other side and be tied up with ropes for 40 days. Now imagine him telling that to his wife because he was married. He said, honey, God spoke to me. Oh, yes, dear, what did God say? How would you tell your wife? What do you think she said? How are we going to earn a living? How are you going to earn a living? How are we going to pay our bills? You're going to be tied up for 390 days on one side? Come on, that's more than a year. I don't know how he did it. Jesus is obedient to death, even on the cross. God told Isaiah, walk around naked for three years. Maybe he had underwear on, but he was, that'd be hard to do. God told Jeremiah, don't marry, don't have children. Then there's the wait on God test. God tested King Saul to see whether he was humble or not, and he was told to wait seven days until Samuel would come and tell him what to do by the word of the Lord. It was wait, wait, wait. The Philistines were amassed for battle and only Saul and Jonathan had swords and, uh, and uh, Saul's men were fading away and running to other countries, hiding in caves. And it looked so disastrous. And so six and nine-tenths days, he waited almost long enough, but then he decided to offer the sacrifice himself. And then Samuel came and said, what you've done is a foolish thing. Uh, God would have established your kingdom forever, but now your kingdom won't won't endure. 
And he never told him the word of the Lord that he was waiting for. He never gave him that word. It was a lost word from God. And when a word from God is lost, something else is lost. For instance, God wrote the, the, to the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians, but he also wrote to the Laodiceans, and that's a lost word from God. They didn't keep his letter. So John spoke to the Laodicean church. God's about ready to spit you out of his mouth. Lose a word from God, something else is lost. In this case, the kingdom was lost because he didn't wait on God. Now, don't be in a big excuse me. Don't be in a big hurry to fill in all the blanks. <clears throat> there's a when God says wait, then you got to wait. Then there's the offense test. This is a very common one. God allows someone to insult you or curse you or show disrespect to you, and if you blow up in anger, then you aren't very humble. That can occur even driving in traffic. <laughs> Amen. Somebody gives you an obscene gesture because you almost pulled over without seeing them, and they have to uh, give you the one-finger wave. And <laughs> What do you feel like doing back? Well, wave at them and say, God bless you. Amen. And uh, when David was given this test, it was when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. And uh, this guy was up on the hill throwing dirt and rocks at David and hurling curses at him. And his cousin, Abishai, said, let me go over and take off this dead dog's head. Why should he curse the king? David said, leave him alone. Let him curse. The Lord has told him to curse. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. 2 Samuel 16, 12. Well, that's a strange way to say the Lord told him to curse, but, but what David realized was that God was allowing him to be tested for humility. And Paul said, when we're cursed, we bless. See, Paul was tested. Right? Now, the next test then is, uh, well, the fence test. You'd be on your guard for that because that, that's very, very common. And God doesn't want us to give insult for insult or evil for evil. And then there's the praise of men test. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Proverbs 27, 21. And Jesus said, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say things like, you're such a blessing. I'm so glad God sent you here. You're amazing. You're wonderful. Well, they're not trying to flatter me, but the Bible says he who flatters his neighbor lays a net for his feet. So if somebody tells me something like that, I, I quickly say, well, thank you. I'll take the encouragement, but let's give the glory to God. They mean to encourage me and they mean well, so I don't rebuke them. But by doing that, we quickly must quickly give the glory to God. Amen? I won't be amazing very much longer. <laughs> Does that make sense? Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thanks a lot. All right? So uh, you've got to give the glory to God over and over and not, uh, not uh, and steer people. If they're, if they're uh, giving you a little too much encouragement, you know what I mean by that? If it's If it's bordering on praise, uh, quickly steer that back to the Lord. And then uh, the God bless you test. Now, sometimes uh, you'll say to somebody, God bless you, and they'll, they'll answer, he does, and they mean well, but I would uh, counsel you never to say that, because that sounds like you're saying, I don't need your blessing, I'm already blessed. So when someone says, God bless you, Brother Wes, you know what I do? I say, thank you, I receive it. And often I'll go like this and say, I'm going to rub it in, amen? <laughs> I receive your blessing, I'll take it, I'll rub it in, amen? But why? Well, I can always use another blessing, amen? I'm not so blessed that I don't need your blessing. I appreciate your blessing, amen? But now if I was prideful, I'd, I could just say, he does. He blesses me, I don't need your blessing, Amen. <laughs> little things like this. The Lord's checking us out. I think there are probably uh, many, many other tests. The last one I'll mention is the give credit to others test. We don't do anything alone. 
rarely, maybe it's something we do alone, but a lot of times our success is a lot of other people helping us. And Paul was very careful to give, oh, he gave credit to so many people. And the whole 16th chapter of Romans is Paul is giving credit to others. Amen? And uh, so anyway, humility tests. Now, as we uh, close this message, there's what I call beginner level humility. And Jesus told of the man who uh, was praying and the Pharisee was boasting about his righteousness, but the sinner was bowed his head and he was beating on his chest and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. In other words, God respects beginner level humility. And uh, King Ahab, as wicked as he, as he was when Elijah said, uh, uh, you know, he's going to destroy, God's going to destroy every one of your household. You're going to be wiped out completely. He fasted humbled himself, wore sackcloth, and God said to Elijah, did you see that? I'm not going to destroy him during his life. I'll destroy his household in his son's life. King Manasseh, so terribly wicked, sacrificed his own children, filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, participated in occult idolatries, uh, was taken away with a bronze hook in his nose to Babylon, and there in Babylon as a prisoner, he humbled himself greatly, the Bible says. He humbled himself greatly. God took him back to his kingdom, put him back in the kingdom. Marvelous. That was beginner level humility. And look how much God honors it. So we don't want to think of ourselves as so humble that we can't get any more humble. <laughs> Amen. There's always a new level. But beginner level is rewarded by God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so would we be spiritual leaders? Humility and faith are not enemies. Humility admits things. A lot of people say, well, if you were a man of faith, you wouldn't confess that. But humility and faith are not enemies. Humility admits what it doesn't know. It admits that it needs others. It admits to having up and downs emotionally. Paul is the man who wrote, don't be anxious about anything, but he also said in the very same epistle, uh, I'm sending Epaphras back to you. God had mercy on him and not only on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Admitted to being anxious. And yet he tells the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good uh, session, and we're going to have another session where I'll show you many, many pictures and give you kind of an overview of some of the great themes that are in this book. But um, I believe God's been in this little session today, don't you? Now, let's just lift your faces up to God. Would you just uh, worship Him? And uh, God so values just simple people, men and women, regardless of your age, regardless of your IQ, regardless of your education, who would just say, Dear Lord, I'd like to walk humbly with Jesus. I'd like to walk humbly. I, I, I want to take his yoke upon me. He's gentle and humble in heart. I want to learn his ways. I want to walk humbly with you all my life. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you'd sanctify us and wash us from... Uh, pride and senses of superiority and judgment upon others and um, any, anything that would exalt itself against you. And we pray that you will uh, coach us, warn us, and help us to not rebel against your plan when you take us down that elevator of humility and begin to test us very, very thoroughly to see if if we can handle the great anointing, we desperately need your help. Because, Lord, we know you could give us anointing that would destroy us, anointing that we could not handle, that we would take the praises of men. It would be easy for you to give us such great anointing that we, we couldn't handle it. Knowing that, we'd like to be greatly anointed, but we 
tell you, Lord, we're willing to uh, go down that elevator and, uh, and be prepared. We'd like to live a life of utter and total dependency upon you. Now, let's just worship him. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our voices and praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus.